0: Well, as you know, in our study of the tool of dispensations that God is using here, we've arrived at number five as you look at your dispensational chart and the giving of law, of commandments to Israel, the right things to do. And they promise that we will do. But as we've said, if you give man enough time, he fails, he breaks it. And down through time, they failed time and time again even though God warned them. And they broke God's law and went into idolatry and perversion of law and justice. And uh, they broke the word of God in the book, in the very book God had given them. And if you go with me to Jeremiah chapter 11, book of Jeremiah chapter 11, we now reach man's failure uh, in the law dispensation. And going to Jeremiah chapter 11, And the prophets here, as they're about ready to be destroyed, coming with God's pleadings to turn from idolatry, to turn from social injustice and things like that, and uh, breaking the very things they promised to obey. And look at verse 3, Jeremiah 11 and verse 3. Thus saith the Lord unto them, and say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant. There were not only blessings with law, there were cursings. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Uh, verse 4, When I commanded your fathers, Jeremiah 11, verse 4, When I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do them according to all that I command you, so shall ye be my people, and I will be, be your God. I said, Obey, and you know, you agreed, and I'd be your God, you'd be my people. Uh, But he goes on to say here, verse 7, And for I earnestly protested unto your fathers, in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, uh, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. I pleaded, I protested, I I said, You you must obey, I reminded you. Verse 8, Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in one in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do. But they did them not. Now look at verse uh, uh, 10 here. Verse 10. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. They went after other gods to serve him. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. And so all that promises we will do. They broke it. And God gave mercy and pleaded with them. And they broke it. So we see that Israel failed. So that again Second Chronicles under the reign of Manasseh will say they did worse than the heathen round about them. Israel with all the temple and the rituals and the rules and the knowledge was actually living worse than the pagan without it. Can you imagine that? The very people with the law corrupted it. They went to false gods and everything they promised to do they broke and God gave them more than one chance. I protested. I pleaded. And so we we see the failure of God's people. It's recorded in Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. It's all recorded for you, even in the days of Elijah and Elisha. The continual failure of God's people. So eventually, as you look at your chart here, as you look at the chart here, uh, he would have to bring judgment upon them. And they would lose their temple. They'd lose their land. They'd become slaves again in in Babylon. Babylon. They'd go backwards here. The nation of Israel and the throne of David, uh, they'd lose their king, would come to an end for a certain amount of time. And so you see the destruction of the nation of the temple as they, uh, or excuse me, under the uh, man's failure. They break God's word in the book. They didn't keep the book as we heard. And then God's judgment would fall on them in the destruction of the nation of the temple. Go to a Second Chronicles 34. Look why the judgment is falling. Because they... They didn't keep the book. They rejected the book. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 34, please. Book of Second Chronicles 34. Under the reign of King Josiah here, looking at verse twenty one. Uh, Second Chronicles thirty four and verse twenty one. says this Go inquire of the Lord for me 3421 and for them that are left of Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book The wrath of God is coming on that nation and those it did because we rejected God in the book we didn't keep the book what is written. We promised to do it. In fact, Moses wrote it. It's called the book of the law. They call it the Torah today. But they didn't keep what was there. They didn't keep it. And so they broke the covenant. Man's, they broke it on a national scale and lived worse than the pagan, following other gods and so on. So that you may expect divine judgment to fall because God is holy. And so what we have here is the destruction of the nation and the temple progressed as Second Chronicles 36. Second Chronicles chapter 36. And it's a record of the fall of Israel and their temple and under the Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And we'll just break in on this record here after God pleading with them, and we'll break in here in Second Chronicles 36 and verse 14. We're at the judgment part now, divine judgment falling, looking at verse uh, uh, 14. Moreover all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers rising up betimes or continually and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place first time they sinned he didn't walk out on them he'd send people to warn them and continually had compassion on a failing people but verse 16 but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose up against his people, till there was no, more, no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, that was Nebuchadnezzar, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. They lost their older people. They lost their little infants. I mean, there was a massacre of Jewish people. But it was the last resort. Then look at verse 18. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God. And break down the wall of Jerusalem burn all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And then that had escaped from the sword, carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. People died the others were enslaved. The temple of God was built. These are the people of God who God said, I will bless you if you'll do. They said, we will do. And they broke. They didn't keep the book. They rejected God in a book. Now, you know this judgment, brothers and sisters, was temporary. And eventually, 70 years later, as we'll talk about that in a minute, the second temple was rebuilt, and Israel came back to the land, at least a remnant did. And it was there in the days of our Lord Jesus. There was a temple, the second temple, and there was a Jewish presence in the land of Israel. But this time, God did not come in a book. He came in a body, didn't He? He came in a body of the Lord Jesus. God manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 You know John 1.10 will say, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Hmm? Received Him not. Pilate said, What shall I then do with Jesus, which is called Christ or Messiah? Matthew 27.22 You know what they said? Here's what you do with Him. They all said unto Him, Let Him be crucified. Israel rejected God twice, in the book and in the body. They, one of the kings took the book and took his penknife out and cut the scrolls of the law and tossed it in the fireplace. That's what they did in those latter days. wrath of God. God removed it. You don't want me? You're gone. Okay? Can't force you. And then when the Messiah came in the body, they crucified Him and nailed Him to the cross. They rejected God first in the book and then in the body. The first temple was taken away. You know what happened after they crucified Christ? second temple was taken away. 70 A.D., the Lord said, not one stone will be left upon another. So you have this double judgment of Israel. First, when they rejected God in the book, that is the law. Then comes the Lord Jesus under the law, and they reject Him. They're still in the dispensation of law. Christ was made under the law, Galatians 4.4 says. Law was still in effect. And they nailed Him to the cross and lost their second temple and was dispersed into all nations. And so you have divine judgment falling on people who broke the word in a book and the body, as we saw. And then the destruction of the first temple and the second temple. One after the law, the book, one after the body of Christ. Okay? And so there's your divine judgment, uh, as we see here. There's so much more to be said about it. It just takes up pages of Scripture, just showing you the highlights of the principle. Any comments on the divine judgment? we breaking the book and the body.
1: The unique part about that, that chapter that you read in 2 Chronicles yeah. is uh, that verse 15. I, I don't think you read it, but I mean, it's just something that I constantly think, even in our day, is pertinent. Because if you read it, it says, in Hilkiah answered and said to uh, Shaphan, the, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Yeah. It's where the book was lost. It's absolutely unique in that aspect. Yes. It's almost as if the impression that you get is that Josiah had no idea what book it was. Neither did they. They had been gone so far, so far removed, that it was in the very presence, in the very house of God, and it was gone. What does that speak to oh. us today, man?
0: Can God's Word be lost in the church today, brother?
1: Yeah, but in God's house today.
0: That's yeah, you go to many places and the Word of God doesn't govern them, brother. It's lost. No. What is, what, yeah. The failure of God's people, brother... And that's what brought this judgment on. And it was a double failure, the book and the body. And both temples were destroyed. Anybody else? Thank you, brother. Okay. Yes, uh, uh, brother, yes. I I
1: think the the Lord spoke about the blood of Abel and then then the blood of Zechariah that was killed in the temple, I believe. Yes. The the whole, from the beginning to the very end. Yes. total failure.
0: Total failure. No matter what God dispenses... The heart of man eventually fails. And that's what God is showing here. We say, This is the answer. God says, I've been there. (laughs) I've been with law and order. I've been with government. I've been with promise. Uh, uh, Look what man does with it. Got to be a work of grace in the heart through Christ, which is the answer to it all. Uh, Now, there's always. Was that a hand, Brother Johnny?
2: Yeah, it's a question.
0: I'm first going to show how the uh, uh, a law can, uh, uh, divine grace to continue. Then I'll get to dispensation of grace. I have a little more to say on law. But... I ask. Okay. So go ahead. Is that all right? Or you want to say something first? Okay. Yeah. Very good. First, looking at the bottom of dispensation number five, you see God's grace to continue. Let me take you back to 2 Chronicles 36. We're dealing with the first destruction of the temple when they didn't keep the law. So I'm going to take you back to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Remember we were reading about the temple being burnt, old men, little babies dying by the sword, people, there were survivors going into captivity. What a tragedy that happened for 70 years. Did that bring that nation to an end? Well, you think it should have. But God preserved a remnant out in Babylon and one day, He would bring them back and rebuild the temple. So you know how 2 Chronicles ends? Not with the judgment, with God's plan to bring them back and rebuild it. So, so look here in 2 Chronicles 36. Divine grace to continue. Uh, we come to verse 22. Verse 22. I mean, the, uh, let me connect it with the verse 21. Second Chronicles 36 and verse 21, it says, "...to fulfill the word of the Lord..." By the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. So for 70 years, there's no temple in Jerusalem. Most of the people of God are gone, either dead or slaves in the Babylonian Empire. But it's only for 70 years. (laughs) And there's divine grace to continue. You look here at verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, here's a Gentile king, and uh, he's going to do something. Look at verse 23. I mean, Israel's in the time of the Gentiles. They're under Gentile kings now. And here's what he says in verse 23. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. That's government. And he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who there is among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. I want the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God. <laughs> and you're going to have the second temple and a Jewish presence back in Israel. God moves the heart of a king that he actually named by name and. He prophesied. Maybe he was reading the Bible. I don't know. He saw his name there. And his heart has turned to the Jews, not to destroy them like Nebuchadnezzar's, but to tell them to go back and rebuild the temple. Divine grace to continue. It's always there. And so Israel continued. It was there to the time of Christ, that second temple. But then they crucified Christ, didn't they? And God said, not one stone will be left upon another. So what does he do now? They crucified Messiah. Will there be any divine grace to continue? Well, the apostles are commissioned to go out with the gospel, aren't they? Do you know who they were to take the gospel to first? Huh? Brothers? The Jews. The very people who crucified Him were the first ones to hear that God will forgive them and save them. Divine grace. They can be part of the church now. The very, Peter would preach on Pentecost. He said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ, speaking of resurrection. You crucified him. When they heard that God raised him from the dead and they crucified him, they saw God and them had two different opinions of Jesus. And about 3,000 repented. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do to Peter? We just crucified Messiah. I'd expect Peter to say, it's over. You had your chance. He ministered among you. You're wiped out again. And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. You repent, and He'll take away your sins and give you a gift of the Holy Ghost. You talk about the mercy of God, and that message was to go to the Jew first. Listen to how Paul writes it in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So, in the early part of the gospel, before Israel was dispersed, that nation was to hear the gospel of forgiveness through Christ, not condemnation. Divine grace to continue, second temples rebuilt, gospel goes to them first after they crucify Christ in a body. In fact, go to Acts chapter 3. Let me show you a couple more scriptures on this. It goes to the Jew first. Acts chapter 3, please. Book of Acts in chapter 3. Peter's preaching to Israel. The nation of Israel still existing there and associated with the temple and so on. And in Acts 3... Look what he tells Israel in uh, verse 19, Acts 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things. He'll send Messiah back at the right time. He'll blot out your sins. Giving national Israel a second chance to receive Christ. They crucified Him. Why would they ever get a second chance? This is God. This is His grace. Divine grace to continue. Look how the chapter closes. Look at verse 25. And you'll recognize it. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Recognize that? You're the children of that. All the kindred of the earth be blessed, but you get the first chance. Look at the next verse, verse 26. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So before this gospel ever went to the world, before Paul was ever saved, God brought it to Israel first the very people that crucified him. And some Jews did believe, didn't they? Not the majority, but some did. Always look for that divine grace to continue. It happened in the destruction of the first temple. The second one's rebuilt. They're back in the land. Now Messiah is crucified. You you who crucified Him, He'll blot your sins out. He'll send them back uh, at the right time. You first. Though all the kindreds are going to be blessed, you get the privilege first. You can keep reading the book of Acts, and now they'll reject God in the Spirit. In the book they rejected Him, and that was God the Father that gave the law. Then they rejected God the Son. And then God the Spirit will do miracles and that. And eventually they will get jealous and they'll turn the Gentiles against it. And Paul will shake off the dust off his feet and say, we're going to the Gentiles. They rejected the whole Trinity, okay? But God didn't go to the Gentiles till the Jews first. Divine grace to continue. Now, having said that, if you go to the upper part of your chart, okay, to where we have law. The upper part of your chart where we have law. Has has law ceased to exist? God's law? It hasn't ceased to exist. Now it has a different role, okay? The church is clearly told that we are not under the law, but under grace. Romans six fourteen. We're delivered from the law, Romans seven six. The law is not our authority, it's rituals, we're released from, we're not under his judgment of death, we're not under the authority of law, but law still serves a purpose. Go to Romans chapter 3, please. While the role has changed, the law hasn't ceased in existing in a purpose. So you go to Romans chapter 3, and you'll read of the purpose of law in the church age. Same book that tells you you're not under law. Okay? And we're not under law. So the dispensation, as we'll see when we get to it in a minute, the dispensation of grace is not just law with Jesus added. Okay? It's something completely different than Israel. And that's where other people get twisted on this. They try to make the church Israel. We're under grace. We're not under law, but law still serves a purpose. And we'll we'll see a couple of scriptures on this. Uh, Chapter 3 of uh, Romans, and uh, maybe some brother could read uh, verse uh, 20 nice and loud. Therefore, by the deeds
1: of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of
0: sin. Thank you. By the law is the knowledge of sin. It's going to reveal sin. Galatians 3, I'm not going to take you back to Galatians 3, calls the law our schoolmaster, right? Our school tutor, to lead us to Christ. You say, Well, I don't think I need Christ. Well, have you kept God's law? You think you can keep God's law? Well, then look at Israel. God's already been there. They, They didn't keep it. Oh, it's not religious rules. No, no, it's not. You can learn that by looking at God's law. I need a savior, not ethical standards to live by first. I need a savior. It's meant to act as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ by the laws, the knowledge of sin. And again, Galatians 3, to lead you to Christ. The law still serves a purpose by the laws, the knowledge of sin. Now, we're not under law. We're not under its rules. We're not under its authority. It's penalty of death. But it still reveals to the sinner sin God still has a purpose. And it still shows us God's high standards that we fulfill by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. And, and so is it possible to be under something and no longer under it, but what you were once under still serves a purpose? A few of you here have met my dad. Did you ever meet him, brother? Yeah, you met my dad. He lived with us 20 years. The Lord took him home at 97 years. You met him, Malcolm, yeah. Uh, took him home at 97 years of age. Okay. But for about 20 years after mom died, dad lived with us. Well, for the first uh, 22 years of my life, I was under my father. He was my father. I was under his rule. You know, if I did something foolish, I got in trouble. I had to obey him. I was under his rule. But one day something changed. I married her. (laughs) And I left mother and father, and we became one flesh. I no longer was under my father. No longer under his authority, you know. But did my father still serve a purpose? Why well, he lived with me, he helped me, he gave me advice. I no longer was under his direct authority, but he still served a purpose. And that is an analogy for the law. That we're not under law, but it still tells us God's character. It still reveals sin. And so I'm no longer I was no longer under my dad, but my dad still existed and served a purpose at that time. I had to remind him of that once when we lived together. There was, I was renting a house, and I didn't own the house, so I, I couldn't make decisions on the house. But there was a branch. He he was he did all the maintenance. He said, "Boy, you, you don't know how to do stuff." He said, "You stay in the books. I'll do the dirty stuff, and you just stay in the books." You know, he was right. So he did a real service for us. We didn't realize how much till after the Lord took him. How much he did. It was time to downsize. We said we can't keep up with it. <laughs> but, uh, there was this branch on a tree out in the yard, and uh, it's not my tree. I'm renting the house and. He's mowing the lawn and daydreaming, and he hits his head on his branch. Very visible branch, but you have to see it to duck under it. He comes in pretty mad. He says, I want that tree cut down. He said, You know, I cut it down. Look, I cut myself. Man, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I don't have any authority to cut that thing down. I don't own the house. He said, You cut that down, or I'm not, you know, I'm telling you. I said, Well, I know you're telling me, but I'm really not under you anymore. I said I appreciate what you're telling me. I'm sorry. I said if you want me to mow that spot, I'll mow that spot for you. But I said I cannot cut down the tree because I don't own the tree. And uh, he he was upset with me. And he said, you you know, he said that evening to me, he said maybe I shouldn't be here. I said I want you here, but I I can't yield to your commands. Okay? I got to represent as the head of this house, and it'd be wrong for me to cut down that tree. He leased a car. He he used to lease cars. And I said, "What, what would you say, Dad? If I took that car of yours, I don't like the gray color. I painted it red tomorrow. I I said, uh, can I do that? He said, no. I said, well, why can't I do that? He said, it's not mine. I'm not allowed to lease it. Paint it. I only lease it. And he just sat there. My dad was teachable. He said, boy, I'm staying. He says, you're right. (laughs) I'm just saying, okay, I, I don't know how I got there, but I'm just saying that I was no longer under him. Sometimes you had to work those things out, but he still served a valuable purpose. We're not under law. Go to one more scripture on this, to chapter 5. And I'm not taking the time to develop it thoroughly, but uh, just to show you these things. And maybe somebody could read verse 20, some brother nice and loud. Romans 5 and verse 20. The law entered that sin might abound. God wanted sin to be reconciled. recognized. We're proud. I can do what God says. God says, you can? Look. I've already showed you it can't be done.
2: Huh.
0: And the law entered. So uh, you said, well, he made these promises to Abraham. He did. But man is proud. He said, I can do it, though. And so God lets the law enter. You say, you can do it. We'll do it. And he falls and he's judged. And we learn from this. So sin abounds so that we can see that grace much more. I need God's grace, not his law. But it still serves a purpose. And so none of these end. Now, the role might change, but something new is added. Now, those are my comments, Johnny. I know you asked me if I was going to say more. That's the level of what I'm going to say on that, uh, uh, just to keep this template going here. But if there's any comments or questions on the quick overview of the dispensation of law, which is mostly your Old Testament that we did in 30 minutes, but, uh, you know, you have any comments or questions? I guess I have a question. Yeah.
2: God the small and the
0: great you know, the books will be open and be judged by law or I'm not sure Well, y- y- yes, up to this point, uh, it was given to Israel as a covenant. They were under it for blessings and cursings. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. It was only offered to them. But that knowledge of the law spread through Israel and other nations came in contact with it and then today it's the knowledge of sin. So come the judgment day, they'll be on two bases. And let me take you to Romans 2, okay? Romans 2. There are those who don't have the law. Well, we already learned the law is written in their heart, the conscience, and they're going to be judged by that. Uh, But there's those that do have the law. But Romans 2.12 puts it this way, 2.11. For there is no respect of persons with God, For as many have sinned without law, shall also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. Those who are in the law know the law, that's going to be brought up. But there's those that don't have law. But they have conscience, they have creation, and they'll perish also. So the criteria of which they had, God will remind them of it, so to speak. The books are open. But the only nation that technically was under the covenant of law was Israel. But the knowledge of law spread from them. So the Gentiles today have the knowledge of law, don't they? You and I do, and we're not Israel. Uh, but, but that law is only meant to bring us the knowledge of sin. But to claim the blessings of that covenant of law is only Israel. That's tomorrow. Okay. Um, okay, I mean, give me, give me some emotion or yay or nay.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. okay, Brother Ron. Yeah.
1: aspects of the law. You have the moral structure of the law, which are the Ten Commandments. You have the judicial part, sure. which were yeah. the uh, rules uh, that, that the, uh, God had given to Moses. And then uh, you have the ceremonial laws, right?
0: Mm-hmm. those were the ones that the, leba, the priest would perform. That's right.
1: Not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So, has all of the law been fulfilled? Well, I would interject that Jesus has fulfilled most of the law, but some of it is still in effect. The moral law applies to all of Much of the ceremonial law has been fulfilled. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. But then again, there is still some of it that we still abide in because we worship regularly. We pray, right? So um, I don't
0: know if I... Yeah, I know what what we're trying to say, okay? I would probably say different than the law is still in effect is we're not under the law. In other words... While it's still true that love fulfills the law, thou shalt not commit adultery, Romans 13, thou shalt not steal. There's still these standards that through the Spirit we live up to, but we're not under its formula or penalty. If you steal today, do you go to hell or are you cut off like Israel was? No, no, you're not under the law. You see, under the law, we're going to see tomorrow as a covenant, as a package. But the knowledge of law and the righteousness of the law that Romans will use, still God is after to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. And so it's right moral demands he's after, but he doesn't get to it by putting you under the law. He gets to it through the Spirit. So we're not it's not an effect to be under, but it's there to show us knowledge of what God desires. By the law is the knowledge. It's a it's a tough thing to explain. Okay. Okay. Yes, brother.
1: Mm. The grace. The grace, grace yeah. Amazing. During
0: the Purit of Law. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, amen. We get to know our God here, Brother Malcolm. We're sat as a Saturday, and we're working pretty hard today, aren't we? So we're not obeying it, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, you're free from the law; you're delivered from the law, but but I'm gonna you're no longer under the letter of the law Romans seven six, but what, Romans eight four says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. What he fulfills is not the letter of the law. And this is the, he fulfills the spirit fulfills the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of the law is what you just read in Galatians. It says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Also, love God with all your heart. The Lord Jesus said, "That's the righteousness of the law." So that I'm not obeying law today, or I wouldn't be here today doing these things. Okay, but what we are fulfilling is the rightness that we treat our neighbor as ourselves. So we walk in here. We don't steal one another's wallet. But also you might see somebody with a need and you give to them. That's fulfilling it. And you love God with all your heart. So without fulfilling its ordinances and its rituals, which we're not under, the very spirit of the law, the very moral righteousness of the law, that's called the righteousness of the law. And Paul distinguishes that from the letter of the law. So we have to be careful in how we convey that. If I say I'm to I'm not under the law, but I'm going to obey the law, do I mean the letter of the law? I don't mean the letter of the law. What I do mean it's moral demands. And so the law, what are the moral demands? Well, it gives us knowledge, doesn't it? It gives us knowledge. To love of your neighbors. It can be condensed to love God with all your heart and your neighbor yourself. You've got to think these things through and meditate upon them. But uh we are not under law. We're not connected with the letter of the law, but in doing it, we're going to fulfill the righteous of the law of the spirit of God. He's going to get you to fulfill the righteous of the law without the law. The genius of God. That's the dispensation of grace, by the way, brother Johnny. No, I,
2: th- I think too. Uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but how I uh, get some clarity in my mind too about this question, you quoted uh, Romans eight four, right? The, Yeah. the law may be filled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit but, uh, uh, and uh, uh, all of you know verse 1 says now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and I think I think to uh, the law the law is not just command it's command plus penalty command exactly. plus punishment and I think God is uh, going after the righteous requirement of the law but we are free from that Penalty. that is gone that is free with no condemnation that's part of the covenant
0: of law the penalty yeah
2: but we are not under that We're no not under that and uh but my god does want the righteous requirement of the law he does want righteousness in our lives uh, and that yeah. is through the holy spirit yeah, yeah. and the
0: righteous requirement of the law is isn't just a letter of the rules it's the spirit what it's after to love god and love your neighbor uh as yourself yeah Yeah, you see, I'll be right with you, brother. The thing is here, is how do we fulfill this righteousness or righteous requirements? It's not by the law, it's by the Spirit. It's by love. Romans 13 says, love is the fulfilling of the law. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. So God will get the law fulfilled in its very righteousness without being under. This is the genius of the gospel. He gets it by the Spirit and by love, not by the letter of the law. He already had a people by the letter of the law, didn't work. And so that's just the distinction we got to make in our minds. So we're not under the law, this penalty. We're not under the whole thing. But he ends up going to get it, the righteousness of it. And he gets it, though, not with the law. He gets it with love and the Spirit. <laughs> and so it supersedes the law. You were going to say something, brother? I was going to say
1: Christ is the end of the law. Yes. So if we have him, we don't need to be thinking about the law. We have the Spirit of the
0: law yeah.
1: living in us and yeah. living
0: yeah, when you look back, you fulfilled it? We're doing it already. Yeah, that's right. We have him. That's exactly. He's in a little off of righteousness. And he's
1: fulfilled all those
0: demands. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. A brother, uh, love your neighbor as you love thyself? What is the meaning of thyself? Uh the question was uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. What is the meaning of loving yourself? Uh that's a given, isn't it? <laughs> You love yourself. Uh, it's just a common sense meaning there. If you get tired, you're going to sleep. If you get hungry, you're going to feed. If you get hurt, you know, if you see the best seat, you want it. it everything's for you. Well, now you want to turn that attention to love your neighbor just like you would love you. It's not a command to love yourself. It's just understand you love yourself. It's a command to love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> okay, if we love ourselves, we're going to love others, okay? I'm, I'm going to put it this way. Uh, th- th- that gives me some psychological caution lights. If we love ourselves, we're going to love others. We love ourselves, okay? The New Testament will teach it this way If we love Christ, we're going to love others. If we love Him, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Loving myself as a given, it can become a detriment that I can focus only on myself. Uh, I haven't met a person who doesn't love themselves. You know, you meet people and they say, I hate myself. I can't stand myself. You say, they don't love their self. Analyze it. Why, why, do you, why can't you stand yourself? Why, well, I don't have the best job. I can't get it, you know, this person. That, it, in, in other words, they want everything for themselves, but because they don't have it. They hate themselves because the self doesn't have what they want. And so they're focusing on self. I hate myself. Who are you focusing on when you say that? The reason you hate yourself is you failed here, you did this. Uh, it's all about self, but it's from the negative aspect. Loving yourself is never a command in Scripture, brother. It's a given. What motivates me to love others as myself is Christ died for my sins. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Romans 5.5. So I'd put it that way. To go out and teach people, you're going to love others if you love yourself more. They already love themselves, okay? It's Christ that causes me to love you, brother, not loving myself. If I love myself, I'm to love you as myself. See, as that's the criteria that's being done. But if I think that loving myself is the answer to loving you, if I love myself, I'm going to forget you. If I love Christ, you know, it, it, there's a little difference here. you to love him as yourself, not because of yourself. Get me on a soapbox here. brother. Let, let's go to the dispensation of grace, okay, and uh, see what we can cover here. Number six, grace. Book of Acts through Revelation 19. Something dispensed that never been dispensed in the way it's dispensed before. Something new. Not to say God never showed grace, but never in this fashion to the world. Uh, Well, probably the easiest verse is to take you back to Ephesians 3. Review again. Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul again says in verse uh, 2, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you, word. The dispensation of the grace of God. And so we see that something that's come in that is formerly called the grace of God, it's the gospel. It involves the Holy Spirit. You know, in Hebrews 10.29, the Spirit is called the Spirit of grace. The Spirit of grace. Grace means to be given something you didn't earn. To be given something you didn't earn. Law means, if I do it, I get it. Uh, looking at, uh, well, you, you know these things, but look here in Ephesians 2. Look how he explains this grace. In fact, before you look at Ephesians 2, look at verse 3 of Ephesians 3. 3.3. 3. How that by revelation he may know it unto me, the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words. The mystery of this gospel, this grace. He just says, I wrote about it in a few words. That's chapters 1 and 2. So you want to understand a little bit about grace, understand 1 and 2. Uh, this grace he's talking about. And uh, going to chapter 2, for example. Let's see what this grace is. He wrote about it, he says. And I wrote afore. Here's what's committed. We call it the gospel. And, uh, and, and verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in our sins, separated from God. Uh, verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You listen to Satan. You are children of disobedience. But more than that, verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation or conduct in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. We were seduced by Satan. We were following Satan, fulfilling our lust. children of disobedience, children of wrath, under God's judgment, dead in your sins, no connection to God. That's your biography before Christ. You don't want to put that on the screen, do you? And yet, God has saved you. What did you have to do? We will do these laws. I'll do this. I'll make these... No, no, no. Look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. He has saved you apart from your works. Romans is dedicated... You know, much of the New Testament gospel explains this. You know... uh we're we talking about by the law is the knowledge of sin. Well, why that's true, the law doesn't save you, does it? it? It says the righteousness of God without the law is made manifest. Listen to Romans 3.28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Your whole justification it involves nothing of the law. It involves the grace of God to him that worketh not. doesn't involve your works. Look, look at that famous verse in verse 9. Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Your salvation was handed to you. It was a gift paid for by Christ, paid for by His blood. Somebody read 2.13, please. 2.13. Far off, we, we speaking of Gentiles here, we, we were strangers to the covenants, aliens to God, without God. Far off, and He now brings you into a relationship by His blood that cleanses you from all sin, His sacrifice for your sins, and quickens you and gives you the Holy Spirit. That's chapter 1 and verse 13, sealed with the Spirit of promise. And all these are a gift. It's called the gift of the Spirit, the gift of salvation. Uh It's all given by grace. You did not have to say we will do. That was law. You see how you can understand grace? Because law entered that grace may abound. That's why the law entered. God wants you to understand grace. But like a jeweler, if he wants to sell you a diamond, he's not going to put it against a white cloth, is he? Not if he's smart. Something purple, crimson, you know, black. And now the sparkling white diamond will show off In contrast... God let the law enter to show the, the, the sinfulness of man, his inability. And that's when he'll introduce grace, after he introduces law. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so you're not saved on a we will do. Many religions today, they'll tell you they're Christian, we will do. They're operating on the principle of law. We're operating on grace. I couldn't do. I'm a sinner. I'm under wrath. I'm under judgment. But He, by His grace, gave me life. He forgave my sins. He brought me near. I have it as a gift I'm saved. That is the gospel of grace. That it's the work of Christ, not the work of me, that saves me. Okay, that's just it in a nutshell. And this has appeared to whosoever believeth. The grace of God has come to whosoever has never done that before, to Gentiles afar off, that is open to everybody to be saved, eternal life, and to have the Spirit in you. That wasn't even offered to the average Jew in the Old Testament. So the dispensation of grace, something that had never been revealed before, as he wrote in a few words, and you can read it in chapters 1 and 2, in Ephesians, you can read it in the book of Romans. Now, that's all I'm going to say on the the new introduction. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John one seventeen. And so we have this age of grace. Now, given enough time, what does man do? He fails, doesn't he? We're going to see that this grace has been dispensed. The message has gone out, but man has corrupted it. You say, well, just give man grace. And yeah, you know, okay. But man will fail. And I just want to show you, just to go through this template faster with you, that man has legalized and liberalized grace. Grace has been corrupted. We call it Christendom today. People knock on your door. TV preachers. Uh, whole religions and denominations that claim to be Christian. And they pervert this gospel of grace. Some will legalize it. Others will liberalize it. Let me show you both, okay? Let me show you both. Go to Acts chapter 15. The legalization of grace started in Paul's day. Acts 15. Verse 1. And certain men which, Acts 15.1, and certain men which came down from Judea, talked to brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Huh. And the Bible says there was no small dissension. That means it was a big argument. Sometimes you've got to argue when false things come in. And notice further in verse 5, 15.5, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Certain Pharisees that believed. These people believed the Messiah. They would tell you Jesus died, He rose again. Yeah, you say, well, they're believers. Yeah. But they would tell you the terms of salvation is more than faith, more than grace. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. It's Jesus plus something that secures your salvation. And that's a legalistic false gospel. It's faith plus nothing in Christ that saves you. That's what it is. But they they would say, except you be circumcised. Yes, Jesus died. We're not denying He died. We're not denying He rose again. Uh, But we're saying you've got to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. And so people will say, unless you do this, unless you do that, you're not saved. And this whole thing was rejected. And Peter will say in verse 11, look at 1511. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And the apostles clarify the gospel that that while there are things you might do as a Christian, they don't contribute to your salvation. They're not the terms of your salvation. It's on grace alone through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the legalization of grace. Look at it again in 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul predicted it would happen, and it's happened. It's a prophecy that's come true. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, this, I find this comforting as I look at Christendom and all the perversion and corruption in the name of the gospel. I say, man, the church is out of control what's happened. God said it would happen. Okay, So uh, he's in control. Looking at 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaking expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons. There's going to be some leave the faith. And they're listening to demons. Demons somehow have seduced their mind. They're deceived like Eve. Okay? Verse 2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Verse 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. They will say not this, you know, might not marriage might not be good for you. They'll say you can't marry. And they'll say there are certain foods you can't eat. There's a whole denomination, huh, that won't let its priests marry and says you can't eat meat on certain days. And these things contribute to your salvation. It's doctrines of demons. The legalization of grace to bring in man's performance like the law, we will do. It's by grace alone that you're saved through faith. And so the legal—you can see it all around you. You have to deal with it. Sometimes there'll be big arguments over it, like the apostles had to, to preserve the doctrine of the gospel of grace. But on the other hand, there's the liberalization of grace. Go to the little epistle of Jude next to Revelation, please. Jude. It's only chapters, okay? Jude. And verse three. Jude verse 3. The little epistle of Jude in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. we have got to write about some common benefits we have in salvation, but when I saw the issues, you've got to contend for the faith. This faith that's once delivered is under attack verse 4 for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our god into lasciviousness and denying the only lord god and our lord jesus christ they turned the grace of god into lasciviousness you know what lasciviousness means any brother know what lasciviousness means we don't use that word too much you know a license to do evil freedom to do evil It's the liberalization of grace. We're under grace. Don't judge. Don't be legalistic, we hear. And so if they do that, that's between them and the Lord. That's fine. Don't you judge. And so they'll permit all kind of wrong activity and put the banner of grace of turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. You know what the grace of God teaches us? Titus 2. To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Christ had to die for those things. He didn't save us uh, 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 for sin. He saved us from sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Romans 6, 2 and on. And so this idea that people used ban Have you heard this happen? That anything you bring up, they say, well, that's legalistic. We're under grace. they will justify disobedience to God. The liberalization of grace... As Paul will put it in 2 Timothy 3.5, uh, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So there's those that will add all kind of rules. And there's those that will take away God's rules, God's commandments, God's desire. And they'll say that's legalistic. You can't judge. And they'll use this grace as a liberty to disobey. Malcolm already read that. Don't use this liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And so you have today the corruption of grace in the name of Christ, the legalization of grace and legalism, a false gospel, the liberalization of grace, and telling people you can live as you wish, and we're not here to judge. And you, I mean, there's even there's people who call themselves Christians today. They're saying we can't judge, you know, same-sex marriage. Don't worry about it. God loves, and everything's love and grace, not God's holiness. Yeah. Predicted it would happen, didn't he? And so you see man's failure under grace. I'm going to move on in a second. Any comments on that, though? Brother?
1: Would
0: you say that repentance is a work? Would I say that repentance is a work? Not the way the Bible presents it. We can make it a work. Repentance is a change of mind. Repent and be baptized. Repentance is I believe that I'm the sinner. God is right. That Christ is not just a man, he's the son of God. I'm changing my mind. But if I preach repentance is I gotta forsake my sin before he'll save me, now I've made it into works. So I gotta give up smoking. I can't give it up till he saves me. Okay? So, if we preach it right, it's not a work. If we preach it wrong, we've made it works. You know. Okay. Now now moving down on the chart then, uh, and now I'm going to be very quick because I got to 335, okay And uh, seven uh, judgment. you can read in Revelation six and on of the seven seals of judgment, all the earthquakes, lightnings, wars. There's divine judgment coming after the church age. John was to write the things that he saw, the things that are, the things that shall be hereafter. The things that are are the church ages, the seven churches on earth, as a testimony, as a lampstand for God. Then in chapter 4 of Revelation, write the things that are hereafter, after the churches. And it's in that chapter 4 through 19, you know what you'll read about? All these judgments of God and the collapse of this world. Chapters 4 through 13. Reveal the seven-sealed book opening and all these judgments being poured out, which are called the things after. It's the third part of Revelation. After the things that are, which are the churches. You know how many times the word church is mentioned in the 7 seals judgments? Zero. It's not there. We're not appointed to wrath. Okay? That's why you have a little arrow on your chart. There's the rapture. We go up. We're saved. God has not appointed us into wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 But judgment has fallen in this corrupt world that's perverted grace. Some of the heaviest judgments of all time. There's never been a time like it. The more privileged, the greater the judgment. Great tribulation There's not been a time like it since the beginning of the world, nor ever shall be. The worst judgments for Israel in this world are future. And it comes after the perversion of grace, of the gospel of grace. The church is called out, though. Seven seals of world judgment, Revelation 4 through 19, okay? Then is there divine grace to continue? Is anybody saved during the tribulation? You better believe it. Go to Revelation 9. Revelation 9. Make it 7. Revelation 7, please. Verse 9, Revelation 7 and verse 9. 7, 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, and all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. Great multitude, standing before the throne, clothed in white, saved. And they cry with a loud voice, verse 10, saying, Salvation to our God which setteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And then look at uh, verse uh, 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Who are these people? Where did they come from? One of the elders asked John. And John says, You know. (laughs) I don't know. He says, Thou knowest. You tell me. And here's the answer, verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, Thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. No man can number. Great persecution. People die for the faith. They suffer tremendously. But there's a redeemed group that stand before the throne of God. God's grace is always there. And some of them will enter into the kingdom of God. That's how you get a millennium. They're saved people, saved nations, saved people of the nations that enter in. Enter in that didn't die. And that grace, of course, continues all throughout, you know. Which brings me to the last dispensation. And now you're going to see something very quick, but I've touched on this before, and probably some of it will come up tomorrow. The the kingdom age. Something new is revealed. Go to Matthew 25 again. Matthew 20. Something's going to happen that's never happened, okay? Something new. Matthew 25. The rule of the king. Christ comes back, he sets upon the throne. The nations have been crushed. And now it's the rule of God. In Matthew 25, and rereading what we read yesterday, verse 31. Verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he set upon the throne of his glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He'll separate them sheep from the goats, etc. He's coming back and He'll set on a throne of His glory in Jerusalem. Israel teaches Isaiah 2. And He's going to rule literally. And we shall reign on the earth, believers are told in Revelation 5.10. You're going to have a holy administration of Christ and His church reigning. And He's going to sit on a throne of His glory. Something that has never happened before. The King is here in authority on His throne and there'll be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And so you have the rule of justice. And last night we were in Isaiah 11, and we showed you some of that. But given enough time, what happens? You say that if Christ is here enforcing law and order, the king himself, it has to be... Per- no, no. There's rebellion. Let's go to where we were last night, but for a different reason. Let's go to Revelation 20. At the end of the thousand-year kingdom. This is a thousand-year kingdom. That's where the word millennium comes from. But going to Revelation 20. And uh, the end of verse 6 says, Revelation 20, the end of verse 6, And shall reign with him a thousand years. There's people who reign with Christ. They rule with Christ a thousand years. This is when he sets upon the throne of his glory. It lasts a thousand years, okay? And then Satan's loosed, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He was bound. and He'll be bound, I should say. And he's loosed. He's going to deceive. You see, what happens? Saved people entered the millennium. People who were washed by the blood of the Lamb. And some of them entered the millennium that didn't die. The rest are before the throne of God. And they have children. Those children aren't saved because they're born. They all start out saved, but they have children. They have children in a thousand years. And some of those children are going to go along with the rule of Christ because he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Crime's not going to pay. Okay? But their hearts were never there. And so Satan, before the eternal state comes, God releases Satan and he's going to reveal the hearts. And he lets Satan deceive. Look at verse 8. And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together, to the number of whom it is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. They attack the Jerusalem of God and the saints, the administration of the rule of Christ. They try to overthrow government. This time it's the Lord Jesus. And as saints, and led by Satan, they reveal their heart of uh, rebellion, and they try to attack this capital city of the millennial kingdom and the saints. The failure of man. What happens? Divine judgment, right? Yeah. Look at it here. Verse 9 again. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God of heaven and devoured them. <laughs> Instant. Instant. Just devours all these thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. And all these sinners are re- revealed. And now all you have left is believers. And with that, God then, is it over? No, it's the eternal state. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And forever and ever it goes on only with believers. Only saved people now. So that Revelation 21 says, if you go to Revelation twenty one twenty four actually. Twenty-one, twenty-four, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. No more death, sorrow. It continues. And so there's a brief overview of things that God has revealed to man down through time. He's dispensed to govern them. And there's failure. There's ju- that's, They're called dispensations or administrations. It's not interpretation, brothers and sisters. It is a, a revelation. It's just observing Scripture. Now, I'm going to close with this example. I know I have a wee bit of liberty here. We're talking about these future things here. And we're going to go into covenants tomorrow and see how this is all legal and how we can count on it. This is done through not only dispensations but through the tool of covenants. But we're talking about the kingdom and all this and the glory that shall be revealed. And sometimes as I teach these things, you know what I hear? Brother, give us something practical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, like this isn't. Uh, knowing that the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Knowing that evil is going to be crushed. Knowing that Christendom is going to be judged. Knowing that mystery Babylon is going to come to an end. Knowing that we're going to reign on the earth. You know, somebody asked a teenager once, uh, what do you think of the book of Revelation? He said, I don't understand it, but this I know. I, uh, we win because I read the last chapter. So Really, that says it. We're glorified. We shall reign here. And the new heavens and the new earth. And so what prophecy does, it shows us the future. It shows us how it plays out. We know the end. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 Let me use this example. How knowing the future and knowing this will affect your life in a practical way. Today, when it comes to sports, there's more than one way to watch a ball game. I'm in Miami, so I'm going to have to use the Miami Dolphins, of all things. But uh, I can't boast in Pittsburgh this year either, so you know <laughs> what I'm going to say. <laughs> and so you watch, you, you watch a ball game live, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And your team's behind by two touchdowns. There's about eight minutes left, and your quarterback throws an interception. It affects your emotions. Oh, they're going to fire that guy. What a bum, you know. And your wife asks you to do something. I just don't know. You know, it affects you practically. And then the running back fumbles, and, and you're just a mess there. You know, you're emotionally, and then your team does a miracle, comes back and wins in the last few minutes, and everything's all right. But, but during it, you were a practical mess because you didn't know how it was going to end. But now you decide that you didn't get to see the game, but you heard the score. But because of that great comeback, you're going to watch it on a replay, on a video. Hmm? And now you're sitting in your living room, and maybe there's a friend, and he doesn't know it's a video set next to you. And you're watching it, and there's your team blowing it, and your quarterback throws a touchdown, and you're not upset at all. you just got this little smile on your face, he looks at you. (laughs) You're not upset. And then he fumbles. And you're calm, and the wife asks you, and you say, sure, honey, I'll be happy to do it. What makes the difference? You know how it's going to end. You know, and it practically affects everything you do. Brothers and sisters, knowing this, getting a hold of this, we shall reign on the earth. He's going to be glorified. He's coming back. King of kings and Lord of lords. And to be vindicated and has made us kings and priests unto God, it will change everything you do here now. You'll say, and I I saw a generation that used to live in light of His coming. Well, I know this, but you know this doesn't matter. It's going to change someday. And yeah, uh, I, I could, you know... There's times we travel around we'll see something really nice. And boy, a nice car, nice this. Not that we don't have anything nice. But we'll see these things and I'll say, you know, if I was going to live forever, I think I'd get it. <laughs> I'm not going to be here forever. <laughs> and it starts to change what you're going to do. And it changes decisions you make. And it changes how you look at the world and politics. You say, it's not like this forever. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever, you know, Revelation eleven fifteen. That You can't get more practical in knowing these things. It will affect everything you do to get a hold of, I will come again, you know. I will come again. So may God encourage you, as we look at it through the tool of dispensations, what God has revealed in His progressive revelation. And uh, um, I don't know how people can deny them because they're just looking at Scripture. But sometimes you come up with a theological package and uh, they're just there. We're not saying, we're not, we're not trying to put something together. We're just reading and consecutively what happened there. You either believe it or you deny it. So any, any closing comments, brothers? Any closing comments? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you for coming. Well, I'm sure there's some closing announcements. Thank you. Lord willing, we'll see some of you tomorrow as we'll continue with the tool of covenants, some wonderful things ahead of us here and how God took the legal aspect of forming all this. And you have a God who will never break his covenant. It's absolutely sure. But we'll take the tool of covenants tomorrow. Brother Malcolm?